Hello, podcast listeners. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today is Monday, January the 4th, 2020. Sorry, January 4th, 2021. I need to get used to the new year. And joining me via Zoom is South Korea's National Assemblyman and former North Korean diplomat, Mr. Taeyong Ho. Good morning and welcome on the show, Mr. Tae. Uh, first, I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to check out NK News, your specialist source for trusted information on North Korea. Get behind the headlines at nknews.org. Uh, thank you for granting this interview, Assemblyman Tay. We know you're very busy. We have a lot to talk about. The last time you were on this podcast was episode 22 in June 2018. That's more than two and a half years ago. A lot has changed since then. So let's start with the Korean Peninsula. What has changed on the Korean Peninsula since we last spoke in June 2018? Uh, first of all, I'd like to tell about the nuclear issue of uh, North Korea. After almost uh, two years and a half, uh, the North Korea's status as a new member of nuclear state in this region has been further strengthened. So I think uh, let's be more honest and realistic. Now in the world, now the world now has lost hope to make North Korea denuclearized zone because in the past two years and a half, uh, North Korea, you know, uh, based on its nuclear the weapons, uh, made a breakthrough with you know, relations with the United States, Kim Jong Un. Uh, legitimized his status by making three summits with the head of the, the states of the United States. He made four summits with South Korean President Moon Jae-in. So in this region, North Korea consolidated its a strong base as a new member of nuclear state. And the second, I think, you know, during the past two years and a half, even though North Korea has not conducted any nuclear ice-beam test, but in a word, you can see the great upgrade and advancements of North Korea's ICBM and nuclear capabilities by the October last parade. So in a word, I think the diplomacy and engagement of North Korea failed in this region. Uh, how do you understand North Korea's current attitude, words, and actions towards South Korea? First of all, I would like to tell the status uh, of North Korea has been changed uh, from where it was when uh, North Korea dealt with Kim Dae-sung and No Mu-hyun governments, because mm -hmm. North Korea, now North Korea is boasting of uh, nuclear status. So that's why the tactics of North Korea with South Korea has changed greatly. Now the main tactics of North Korea is to tame South Korea according to its own needs. So I think uh, it is very important for South Korean government how to deal with North Korea in the future because North Korea is so confident in its nuclear weapons. They, North Korea thinks that they can achieve anything if North Korea demands to South Korea. You said that North Korea wants to tame South Korea. What do you believe North Korea under Kim Jong-un intends to do in the long term with South Korea? So, uh, first of all, uh, North Korea wants to achieve its, you know, the strong uh, status in this region. The main point is that North Korea should establish very solid relation with America. But now 
there is a change of administration in America. Biden uh, administration is coming in a, a few days. So that's why North Korea wants to make a same, you know, kind of deal with Biden administration, like what they did with Trump administration. But so far, Biden administration or Biden team has not shown any signal, you know, how to deal with North Korea. So now Kim Jong-un regime wants to use South Korea as a kind of, you know, the stepping stone to reach Biden administration, like what they did in 2018. In 2018, if we recall back, they used Winter Olympics as a kind of, you know, the bridge to reach American administration. They made, you know, summit Moon Jae-in, Panmunjom declaration as a kind of stepping stone to reach Trump administration and achieve the Singapore agreement. So I think they want to follow the same format like what they achieved in 2018. And what does North Korea intend in terms of inter-Korean relations? Oh, I think uh, North Korea uh, economic situation is really bad because of the corona. North Korea totally closed its borders with China. So they need uh, even, you know, the mild lift of economic sanctions. But the key is uh, at the hands of the United States. And South Korea is the only, you know, the government who can actually, you know, move or change the uh, conventional attitudes of sanctions of America. So that's why uh, now in this year, North Korea would try again to move South Korea to demand American governments to lift or even to provide even mild economic you know, sanction lift to North Korea. Do you believe that President Moon Jae-in and his government fully understand the intentions of Kim Jong-un? I think so. We uh, know that uh, Moon Jae-in exchanged uh, a lot of, you know, the letters with Kim Jong-un last year, even after the collapse of inter-Korean liaison offices. So that's why uh, uh, Moon government is quite clear what North Korea wants to achieve. The point is that uh, how South Korea wants to uh, uh, deal with this kind of, you know, North Korea's tactics. It is my strong argument that South Korean government should not summit to blackmail of North Korea. That is my argument in a word. Does North Korea still pose a threat or present a danger to South Korea? Of course, actually, we have seen in the last October parade, North Korea even advanced its capability of ICBM technologies. And in terms of conventional weapons, you know, we have seen various sets of new conventional like weapons, like new types of tanks, you know, artilleries. So actually, you know, this kind of new show uh, shocked the South Korean population greatly because it is a kind of, you know, conventional concept in South Korea that because of uh, sanctions, North Korea cannot further develop its nuclear conventional capabilities. But it was wrong. We have mm. seen that in the past two years, uh, North Korea greatly upgraded even its conventional weapons together with its nuclear capabilities. So in a word, North Korea's level of threat in military terms against South Korea has been further improved. 
But there are some South Korean people, and I've met some, who uh, look at the new weapons technologies from the uh, October 10th parade, and they see that as a threat maybe to the United States or a threat maybe to Japan uh, or maybe even a threat to China, but they don't really feel it as a threat to South Korea. Are they misled? Oh, I, I think they are absolutely uh, misled. Uh, we have to admit uh, that our North Korea's economy uh, situation is really bad. Uh, but if you know North Korea is a kind of you know normal state, and if North Korea does not have any in, you know, ambition to reunify the Korea with its military power, what is the merit for North Korea to invest that kind of huge you know the money? on further developing its conventional weapons, because North Korea has nuclear weapons, various sets of missiles of you know, nuclear weapons. If you have nuclear weapons, you know, that's the end you see, of the military power. You can use it if you are attacked. But you know, because even though North Korea has huge you know, assets of nuclear weapons, North Korea is still upgrading and developing its conventional weapons. How North Korean tanks can threat Japan or America? How North Korea's new sets of artilleries, multi, you know, multiple launchers can make direct threat to America, Japan? No, the conventional weapons, the new advancements of conventional weapons are the direct to South Korea. I think South Korean, you know, the military and the government should accept the reality. Do you believe that Kim Jong-un wants to use that, that uh, military power to force South Korea into a unification deal? Oh, yes, because, you know, after uh, North Korea succeeded in ICBMs and nuclear weapons, uh, there is uh, a great fear about North Korea's nuclear weapons in South Korea. That is, uh, I think that is the fact. North Korea believes in that they can achieve anything you know they want if uh, they use this leverage of nuclear weapons. So that's why I think it is very important to South Korea to make a very disciplined and you know disciplined policy towards North Korea. Otherwise, if South Korean policy uh, on North Korea is interpreted by North Korean authorities as a kind of weakness or appeasement, I think it will make more danger. Now, you also, um, Assemblyman Tae, you in the past, you uh, said that uh, you believe Korea could reunify by 2025. That's just four years from now. Do you still believe that's possible? Oh, I don't feel that is my dream when I first arrived in South Korea. Yeah. I thought that, you know, Korean reunification can be achieved uh, in a very short span of time. But uh, when I settled in South Korea, uh, that kind of dream has already been, you know, gone. I think the process of Korea reunification uh, would take much, much longer, I think, with around 20 years. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, now, um, you mentioned that uh, South Korea needs to have a, a strong and disciplined uh, policy towards North Korea. What What's the best way for South Korea to uh, counter the uh, danger or threat that North Korea poses? I think uh, South Korea has a very strong uh, military alliance with the America. And also South Korea, to some extent, uh, has much better conventional weapons 
against uh, North Korea. So that's why uh, South Korea must be very disciplined policy. For instance, if North Korea wants to blackmail uh, South Korea, then South Korean government should stand up bravely that say to say, no, you know, they should say to North Korea, they should tell to North Korean regime what is wrong and what is right. Only by opening the sincerity and open-minded and or your real policy and images toward North Korea, then you can lead North Korea to a right direction. If South Korean government continues to, you know, give in, the demands by North Korea, it may give a kind of misinterpretation to North Korean authority. Uh, that is, I think, very dangerous, I think, point to North Korean regime. Now, why and how did you decide to enter politics in South Korea? Uh, there are a lot of reasons. I think the only way to bring the permanent peace and reunification of North Korea is to change the mentality and minds of North Korean elites. I think that is the only way. In order to read, to do that, we use, you know, soft power because South Korea has, you know, you know, fundamentally, you know, much, much stronger soft power in this regard. And in order to do that, I want to tell the North Korean elites what is freedom, what is democracy, how this democracy and freedom concepts uh, work together. So in order to deliver that kind of things, I think being a parliamentarian in South Korea, I can give or I can give a right, you know, the picture or hope or even alternative to North Korean, the elites, because to be a assemblyman in South Korea within four years, you know, it's kind of miracle. Nobody expected that I can be accepted to mm. South Korea's established, you know, the elite class in four years, but I did it. And so even the North Korean diplomats in foreign in countries may accept it as a kind of miracle. But on the meanwhile, they this would give a kind of second thought. Through me, North Korean elites in now uh, have now uh, understood the, the structure of democracy how South Korean society is open so that, you know, in the future, in the long run, if North Korean elite uh, group wants to reunite with the South Korea, they would not be punished because of that. There would be alternatives. That is actually what happened in East Germany and East European countries mm. during the transition from socialism to capitalism. We can only achieve the peace and reunification of Korean Peninsula by changing the thoughts of North Korea's elites. That is the dream what I want to achieve. And it's interesting, uh, the electoral district that you represent uh, in the National Assembly uh, is Kangnam, is, is it not? Yes. Yeah, so you are literally uh, in the elite of the elite in South Korea. It's somewhat ironic that once you were a... Uh, uh, a diplomat for North Korea, um, talking about the evils of the capitalist system, and now you are representing the heart of the capitalist system in Seoul, uh, the people of Gangnam. Yes. Uh, in North Korea, you know, uh, most people who actually experienced uh, some days abroad, they know 
you know, uh, the song of Gangnam style, they know what is Gangnam is. So that's why I think symbolically, it is, I represent a very important place of South Korea. So that's why I think the message uh, from me to North Korea can be even stronger because of my electoral constituency. Mm. Now, the, the South Korean political scene, especially uh, when it comes to North Korea issues, uh, is very polarized. And when you first ran for election in April last year, you said that the Liberty Korea Party, that was the name then, now it's the People Power Party, was the only party that approached you, uh, not that you had the option to choose between the two sides. As a first-time lawmaker, coming from a different background to most legislators from North Korea, what do you think can be improved in terms of building a bipartisan consensus on North Korea here in South Korea? I think uh, it is very difficult to bring a kind of harmonization on North Korean policy between conservative and progressive in South Korea. Because in South Korea, uh, you know, this kind of polarization has very deep root. Uh, a Korean peninsula is the only country where the right and left fought each other with arms, you know, through the war and is divided again. So. The, this kind of polarization has a very long, deep in history. That's why the people like me who are actually defector of North Korea are regarded as a kind of traitor to, you know, the right side of the people because many uh, percentage of South Korean people still believe in, in the long history of kind of, you know, socialism or, you know, the Marxism, there are quite large number of them. Maybe the current generation not, but their mother's generation or father's parents' generation or grandparents' generation war. Because, you know, my parents and my grandparents were very true communist believers. So this kind of, you know, ideological belief has a very strong root in South Korea. So I think this kind of polarization cannot be solved by negotiation or talk. Only biological change can bring the harmonization between these two right and left. So I think it may take another 10 years when the people who are deeply rooted in this polarization are retired uh, from the politics of political, you know, the sins, when young generations who are not so much, you know, uh, ideologically, you know, the biased people, only then I think uh, South Korea can bring harmonization between uh, left and right. And the same thing in North Korea as well. You know, in North Korea, for instance, the people in 50s or 60s, even 70s, even though North Korea is poor, but they refuse to uh, believe in the merits of capitalism and democracy. But the millennial generation, they are different because they were the ones who were grown up in a quite different atmosphere where free markets are prevailing. They were the generations who were grown up by watching American cartoons like Tom and Jerry, A Lion King of Beauty and the Beast. They were the ones who were grown up in 
a computer class where they learned what is Microsoft, what is Windows systems, who is Bill Gates, while in history class they were taught that America is sworn enemy of North Korea. So that's why only this biological change can not only bring two careers, you know, rewrite it, but also can solve polarization of politics in South Korea. Uh, in December, you took part in a filibuster. Please tell us about yes. that filibuster. Why did your party try to block the passage of the amended law on leaflets? I think everyone knows that in June of last year, uh, North Korean uh, the leaders, especially Kim Yo-jong, sister of Kim, jo- Kim uh, Jong-un, were admirably you know, angry at anti-North Korean uh, the leafleting. In June, Kim Yo-jong demanded strongly to make a law to ban anti-North Korean leafleting. And after almost six months, the parliament passed the law to ban the leafleting. What I want to tell uh, in my filibuster is that I want to tell two uh, points in my filibuster. First, the law which uh, was passed by now uh, and is ready to be enacted is actually does not technically follow the agreements between the two leaders. In Panmunjom declaration, Moon Jae-in and Kim Jong-un agreed to ban anti-North Korean lifting along DMZ. That was the agreement between the two leaders. But the law was not only restricted the anti-North Korean lifting in DM, along DMZ, but it totally banned not only the leaflets, but the money, the personal, you know, the, the economic interest, USVs, fibers, everything. They did not restrict the place along military demarcation in the line. The law was very abstract. The law could give the authority to government to ban any kind of items, not only the leaflets, you know, but any kind of USBs or items moving from South Korea to North Korea, even through the smuggling of South uh, North Korea-China border. That is, mm. you see, my second point. So what I said that it is really does not follow technically the exact agreements of inter-Korean, you know, the agreements. Secondly, the law could give the absolute power to the government to stop inflow of any information contents from South Korea to North Korea. What is the dangers of this law is that everyone knows that North Korea has nuclear weapons. It is really a big threat. North Korea has huge military assets. And so that's why we have to achieve the peace and also reunification of North Korea. How we can do that? We can only achieve this by making North Korea a normal country. How we can make North Korea a normal country? We can only make normal country by inflow of information so that North Korean people's mind is changed. The cultural content so far of North of South Korea actually made huge changes inside North Korea by now. For instance, now more than 80% of North Korean population watch South Korean movies and dramas at night instead of watching North Korea's central TV. 
Now, Assemblymente, the uh, the Vice Minister at the Ministry of Unification, Mr. Sahor, he wrote an exclusive op-ed about the uh, re uh, revised anti-leaflet bill for NK News. Have you seen the piece that he wrote? Yes, yes, I read it. And, you know, it, I think you are very well aware that uh, Unification Ministry uh, announced that it will uh, publish a kind of interpretation guideline of this law. So what is the purpose to, you know, publish again interpretation of this anti-leaflet, you know, the law? Because the law is so abstract, it can be interpreted by judges in this way or that way. So now the government, you know, realized this abstraction and ambiguity of this law. So that's why they are now saying that they want to uh, issue a kind of law interpreting guideline. If this law it can be only interpreted by the government, not by the judges, the law proves something wrong in it. Mm. Because actually, administration has no right to judge or make a guideline of the law. Law can only be judged by the judges, by the judiciary. As I have said, you know, the true peace of Korean Peninsula cannot be achieved by submitting to blackmail of a North Korea or just follow North Korea's demands. The only way to achieve permanent peace in Korean Peninsula is the change uh, of North Korea's, you know, the people's mind and mentality. Uh, Soho said that it is for this law is for the sake of the security mm. and the life of the people living along DMZ. Yeah. You know, but this leafleting has been conducted in the past 15 years. But to be honest, no single life is being, you know, harmed because of this leafleting. The only incident happened is that North Korean army shoot the balloons in the air in 2014. Now the government is creating a kind of fear to the 1.2 million populations along TMZ. That is not the government obligation. If there is a government, then the government could, should say that if North Korea do any propagations to the lives of the people along TMZ, South Korean government will be ready to retaliate. You know, that is the way the normal government to do. You said that the uh, uh, that leaflets have been sent across the border for uh, more than 50 years, and that's true, certainly uh, since since during the uh, the Korean War, uh, both sides, um, the governments of both sides, the militaries of yes, both sides, uh, sent leaflets to each other. Now, what we're talking about these days are um, non-governmental actors, so civic groups, uh, political groups, church groups, sending their own leaflets as a non-governmental activity. Do you see a difference between the two? Is there a difference between a government sending leaflets as part yes. of a, a strategy and civic groups sending leaflets? Uh, are they comparable? Yes. Now, North and South governments uh, do not sending any leaflets. Uh, only uh, South Korean some NGOs uh, uh, did it. Uh, before the June of uh, last year. Uh, it is true that our previous South Korean governments used this uh, uh, leafleting as a kind of leverage to North Korea. So sometimes they 
monitored and stopped of those civic organizations leafleting, but sometimes they loosened their control because South Korea has enough law to stop it. For instance, policing law by police, South Korea can stop it. So actually there is no further extra law to stop it. South Korea has a, has a lot to stop, to take care of the safety of DMZ. What I am against is the extra law to totally ban all inflow of information, even through China and North Korean border. That is my point. As a parliamentarian, I really mind the safety and lives of the people of DMZ. Any leafleting can endanger uh, the lives and the security of the people along DMZ. I think these kind of things must be stopped. Nobody wants to endanger their lives. Mm. The point is, is that whether we need an extra law, which is against the constitution, whether we need you know, extra law to stop all the inflow activities from South Korea to North Korea through China, North Korea border, that is my point. Now, another legislative change to happen recently in South Korea is that the uh, National Assembly voted to transfer North Korea-related espionage investigations away from the National Intelligence Service to the National Police Agency. Uh, one of our contributors, Chris Green, wrote an analysis piece for NK Pro recently in which he argued that South Korea's democratization had long been constrained by the NIS, uh, that the NIS had too much power, and that giving investigative power to the National Police Agency for domestic crimes related to intelligence is a good idea. Uh, what do you say to that? I think a South Korea is free and democratic, you know, the society. So I think uh, practice of democracy must be further extended and proved. There is no doubt about it. But on the meanwhile, Korean peninsula is divided. And the reality is that North Korea is looking for or the military occupation of South Korea. Uh, and they want to use every possibility. That is a great difference between uh, South Korea and the former, you know, the West Germany. What the ruling party is arguing is that after the reunification of Germany, they West German government found out almost 10,000 East German spies in uh, former West Germany. But because economic and political, you know, supremacy over East Germany can, you know, bring the final reunification of Germany. That's why the spy activity actually cannot, you know, the change the society. That is the argument by the government, present South Korean government and the current ruling. But the difference is that East German Communist Party at that time did not have any policy to militarily occupy West Germany. No, they didn't have that one, you know. So I think we cannot compare technically the South Korean politics with European politics. No, that is a very, you know, the strong mistake, I think. To reality, all the North Korean spies now working in South Korea, they are related with their spy network through China as well. Now, North Korean spies can buy very easily Chinese passport. They can come to North Korea, to South Korea very easily because South Korea is a society. So 
under the direct threat of North Korea, I think South Korean NIS should maintain the frustrating you know, function of North Korean spy activity here. North South Korea cannot be compared with those European countries in the Cold War, no. But even leaving aside uh, European comparisons, uh, we've also seen the NIS getting involved here in local politics. Sometimes we've just had a recent story suggesting that uh, the NIS were spreading anti, anti-opposition propaganda during the uh, previous uh, elections here in South Korea. And precisely for that reason, I guess, uh, Chris Green further argued in his piece that the intelligence laws of South Korea needed reform in order to balance power, to strengthen political independence and to avoid corruption and abuse. Do you disagree with that? Uh, to some extent, you know, but what I want to emphasize is that all those activities of intervention in previous uh, South Korean elections were all, you know, uh, opened and sentenced. So that means that South Korea's democratic judiciary is still alive. The current South Korean law system can investigate NIS activities, and if there are any wrongdoings, you know, they can actually give a right punishment. For instance, one of the reasons that former President Park Geun-hye was impeached is because the president used NIS money illegally, and now she was sentenced, you know, the imprisonment because of that. This proves that South Korean judiciary and legal system are functioning. We have a proof of that. Arguably, it also proves that institutionally, structurally, the NIS had too much power and too much money and too much influence. Yes, that's why after the Moon government, there were a lot of structural reforms. They done a lot of it. And then I'm quite sure that the future government, no matter whether it, it would be in conservative or progress, the government could continue to, you see, both the uh, democratic and, you know, the uh, transparent of NIS. But the point is, the espionage activity, you know, the function. I think yeah. that is the really last deadline that NIS should keep. If they give this to police, then I think it there will be, I think, a lot of difficulties. I think I have seen in my life, even in Europe, even in Britain, you know, I was, I was about to use that as an example. Actually, yeah, you lived in, in Great Britain, and in Great right. Britain there, is, there are different agencies uh, controlling uh, external uh, intelligence activities and internal domestic intelligence activities. Similarly, uh, in America, you've got the CIA for external spying, and you've got the FBI for uh, internal crimes like spying within America. Why, would that be, why should that be different in South Korea? Yes, but a South Korea now, the point is that they want to transfer this, you know, the function to police. That's the point. In uh, in UK, there is a police, you know, the Cosmopolitan or Scotland Yard, you see. But there are MI5 and MI6, you know. They are totally different organizations from police. In United States, they are, are FIB, FBI, and CIA. They are totally different organizations from police, but the, the current issue in South Korea is that they want to transfer, you know, this function to police. That is the point. Actually, if my it understanding is done by of... under the umbrella of police, you mean? 
So if I can make a, a slight correction, my understanding of the FBI in the United States is that it is actually like a federal police system. It's under the Justice Ministry, so it is similar or comparable to uh, a national police. Uh, if a South Korea wants to achieve that kind of things, then I think there, would, there should be another structural you know, change, uh, something uh. like maybe we can organize another uh, organizations which is totally different from police, you know, the departments. But mm. the point is that, you know, the just the technically transferring of the, you know, the power to the follow espionage activity to police, I think that is not the right way. Britain and America has much long history of espionage and catching spies. So they learned after long study and experience, they learned you know, uh, this institutional structure on the meanwhile taking care of their democracy. So I think the mechanically or technically transferring of the power from NIS to police, I think this is a wrong approach. Uh, you A few minutes ago, you said that um, unlike uh, East Germany, um, North Korea has a plan to militarily occupy South Korea. You know, what is the great difference is that in East Germany, in Cold War period, East German communists did not have that kind of, you know, ambition or party policy. East Germany did not uh, openly or did not secretly, I think, uh, establish their party sale organizations in West Germany. They are just the spies. But what North Korean Workers' Party has done so far is that they want to expand their party political organization network in South Korea. You know, it is quite different. You know, North Korea's, you know, Workers' Party's policy is more similar like Vietnam or China, different from former, you know, Eastern European, you know, communists. But surely, I mean, even uh, while in the 1980s and perhaps in the 1990s, there were some domestic uh, supporters of North Korea here in South Korea. Now, in 2021, that number must be lower than ever before. I, I don't imagine... Uh, it's difficult for me to imagine that Kim Jong-un can actually believe it's possible to uh, occupy South Korea and keep the South Korean population uh, suppressed under North Korean military rule. Do you think that he believes it is possible? Uh, North Korean Workers' Party and Kim Jong-un has this kind of very stupid uh, the ambition. But the point is, it is not important how we think. You know, that is not important. The yeah. important is how North Korean regime think. That is sure. important. How, you know, for instance, how North Korean regime think, how the people like me were taught in university and as a diplomat in mm -hmm. our brainwashing education system, is that the future of Korean Peninsula will not be decided by the military or by the economic power or prosperity. The future of Korean Peninsula will be decided by the big superpowers, who, which side is on. They learned this lesson from German and Vietnam case. In Vietnam, there was a kind of, you know, the balance of power when America was there. But yeah. when America said goodbye to South uh, Vietnam, the poor North Vietnam, all of a sudden, you know, they decided to do something. So in two years, they did it. What happened in Germany? When Soviet Union said goodbye to East Germany, all of a sudden, West Germany had a great hope. Because at that time, West Germany even did not think that 
uh, Germany could be reunified in you know, that short span of the time. But once, when they see that one of the big superpower is leaving, you know, their partner, then all of a sudden things start to change. So North Korea wants to make the same thing in South, uh, South Korea. For up to now, South Korea's economy even, you know, 40 or 50 times bigger than North Korea. South Korean conventional weapons are bigger, you know, much, much stronger than North Korea. But what is North Korean policy? North Korea, with that, you know, nuclear weapons, they want to continue to blackmail America. They want to stop all America and South Korean joint military exercise. With their ICBMs, they want to continue to press America, withdraw their army troops from South Korea. So North Koreans, what the point is, North Koreans strongly believe now that if they upgrade and, you know, further strengthen their ICBM capabilities, then one day America would be pushed in a corner to decide whether America could sacrifice San Francisco with whole part of South Korea. That is what North Korea wants to achieve. That's why sometimes they do nuclear tests, ICBM tests, or sometimes they come to the dialogue table, make a summit. Why? The fundamental goal is to let Americans out from South Korea. And, you know, North Korea is a poor country, but we have to, you know, point, we have to see North Korea is a very well organized society. Even the population of 25 million, half population of South Korea, you know, North Korea is a country, they can organize 1 million uh, civil, you know, the people's parade within two hours in Kim Il-sung Square. We have you to see those organizational structures of North Korea. The, the power of North and South Korea cannot be only compared with economic or military. I think the power must be compared in its organizational capabilities. Do you see uh, or do you hear any voices in the South Korean political world who are uh, actively um, encouraging the idea that United States forces should withdraw from Korea and, and the uh, alliance between the United States and Korea should end? Uh, I think uh, we have to admit that uh, South Korea is one of very few countries in the world uh, where there is a very strong anti-American sentiment. Uh, I think uh, we have to admit, of course, majority of South Korea strongly, you know, uh, supports uh, the alliance with America, but there are some very strong, sophisticated, you know, organizational group who are very anti-America. The point is that now the mentality of South Korean people are changing. They think that, oh, South Korea is a very well-developed country, South Korean economy, maybe the welfare of South Korea is more or less similar with America. You know, South Korea's BTS, you know, is worldwide class, Samsung, you know, all over. So South Koreans are very proud people. So that's why I think it is a so to some extent, some people that they can do or solve their problems without America, because South Korea is that kind of strong country, one of, you know, uh, 10 economic, you know, strong in the world. We have to, you know, take it uh, consideration without American elements, you know, can really South Korea deal with North Korea, uh, Russia or uh, China? Because North Korea strongly believes in that even at this moment, South Korea is much stronger than North Korea 
between economy, military, and with America. But if America influence in South Korea is weakened or you know almost lost, I think the Chinese and even Russians may think differently. They think that they, it would be the time to give a strong support to achieve what they you know want to achieve through North Korea and Korean Peninsula. So that's why I think it is a very important elements in South Korea to keep U.S.-South Korean military alliance as a kind of insurance for the peace and security of the South Korea. Uh, generally, it seems to me that support for the alliance is quite high in, America, in South Korea, even despite uh, the, the streams of anti-American sentiment that you talk about. Um, who are the, the major voices um, arguing against the, uh, the alliance with the U.S. at the moment? I think there are very unseen, you know, very dangerous, uh, I think, elements uh, we have to see. For instance, you know, the the American forces budget in South Korea, you know, in the la last year when Trump administration wanted to raise those, you know, the military budget, the anti-American sentiments uh, rose quite, you know, they rapidly. So any single instance, for instance, in the past, about the, those, you know, uh, American tanks, you know, uh, the uh, the accidents in the road, you know, almost suddenly changed, you know, the the uh, South Korean sentiment. South Korean population is very hot tempered, you know, the population. So that's why it is my strong argument that uh, we have to take care, you know, the U.S. Uh, South Korea alliance. So U.S.-South Korea alliance is not something, you know, the permanent. Mm. Now, a, a couple of final questions here. You used to be a diplomat uh, from North Korea. Do you think uh, foreign countries where North Korean embassies are located, uh, should, they, should those North Korean diplomats be treated any differently to diplomats from other countries? Oh, I think the governments... Uh, of the world should continue to North Korean diplomats uh, that North Korea is different from uh, China or Pakistan or even India because North Korea wants to follow Pakistan format, you know, of nuclear states. So uh, uh, the, all the governments should say North Korea is different, you know, from uh, Pakistan or China. With their nuclear weapons, North Korea cannot achieve economy and nuclear status. We have to continue to tell and prove that North Korea cannot achieve that. You, you wrote in your, uh, your book, your memoir, which I read um, a couple of years ago, uh, that North Korean diplomats in Europe and in other parts of the world were sometimes involved in criminal activities to raise money, uh, smuggling yeah. cigarettes in Baltic states, for example. Uh, in a recent documentary, we saw uh, allegations that the North Korean embassy in Sweden may be involved in weapons sales. Should North Korean diplomats be seen um, with suspicion by their host oh, countries? Yes. Uh, what I want to tell is that uh, there are two sections in North Korean embassies. One section is professional diplomats. And the second section, which is called economic sections. And the diplomats who are working in economic sections, they have a kind of you know, certain duty how much they should, you know, uh, repatriate back to the capital. So these people uh, have no choice but to, you know, to earn the money, to support the government. So 
uh, you know, through that sometimes they are engaged in illicit activities. Uh, uh, that is true. So that's why I think uh, the foreign governments, I think, uh, should be, you know, uh, following, you know, those, uh, we call it unprofessional diplomats who are sent by economics, uh, the party economic, you know, the sections or the other parts. So point is that North Korean embassies are divided into two. One is professional diplomats who were sent by foreign ministry. Another part is not professional uh, diplomats, but they are there just for, you know, making money. Making money. Now, your book was a, a big seller in South Korea and very interesting, but it has not yet appeared in English. Uh, one of the most uh, common requests we got after your interview with me in June 2018 was, when is Mr. Tay's book coming out in English? Uh, and so I, I think that's because there are so many books these days written about North Korea and even written by North Koreans, but there are very few books in English by North Korean elite. Hwang Jung-yop's book has still not been published in English. Your book has not been published in English. Are there any plans to publish it in English soon? Uh, very good question. I have been, you know, uh, looking for any uh, in translator and publisher, but uh, so far I haven't found a very uh, uh, good one. So I'll appreciate if NK News mm -hmm. can, you know, uh, find good publisher for my book. I will have uh, my boss talk to you about that. Uh, last question. You recently had an emotional moment during a parliamentary audit when you talked to Republic of Korean staff at the South Korean embassy in the United Kingdom, your former counterparts uh, when you were a North Korean diplomat. Do you have any message to give to your former colleagues back home, to North Korean diplomats, uh, if they are listening to this podcast? I want to tell uh, that... Kim Jong-un's so-called nuclear policy cannot be uh, achieved. Uh, North Korean diplomats must be uh, realistic. They should tell to uh, the Pyongyang that with that nuclear weapons, they cannot achieve any economic uh, the prosperity. They should join hands uh, with, the, with the people like me, you know, to bring the change of North Korea. North Korean people, is really, you know, the miserable. I think North Korean people has the right to lead, uh, you know, the fundamental freedom and rights. So I think this kind of uh, misery must be stopped, you know, in the near future. Well, thank you once again, Assemblyman Tae Yong-ho, uh, for appearing on our show for the second time. We do hope that you'll come back in a couple of years and update us on how your political career is going. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for today's podcast. If you like what you heard on this podcast, please visit us at nknews.org, your trusted source for updates on everything related to North Korea, written and produced by field experts. Become a member today at nknews.org. Our thanks, as always, to James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast and to Arius Dare, our post-recording producer genius who cuts out all the echoes, extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Thank you and listen again next time.